Isaiah chapter 47. If I was a spiritualizing pastor, I'd be spiritualizing right now. Because my Cyrus is named Jesus Christ. And he rode his white horse trampling the devil and all the minions of hell to come into Babylon, spiritual Babylon, mystical Babylon, and rescue me and reached out and took my hand and pulled me up behind him on his white horse and led me out of that Babylon and destroyed it by calling fire down from heaven on it, as we can read about in various places in Scripture. I love being his virgin daughter. And I hope that in the next just a few minutes, from Isaiah 47, you'll be able to see the virgin daughter of Babylon and Zion, with Cyrus making a difference between the two, and that you'll at the same time be thinking about being the virgin daughter of Jesus Christ yourself and the huge difference he's going to make when he appears as the Bible shows him on his white horse. But since I'm not a spiritualizing pastor, let's go look at Isaiah 47. Isaiah 47, God mocked Babylon as a virgin daughter in a queen city and a lady kingdom that would last forever and promised to have her ravished in spite of her sorcerers and witches and wizards, stargazers and prognosticators. So what I opened the service with from Isaiah chapter 19 about Egypt, God would do the same thing to Babylon. God would destroy her idols and because he was superior to them and he would destroy all of the dark arts practiced in the city of Babylon, meaning the occultic practices of witchcraft and sorcery. And we have that here in Isaiah 47. 46 was God would deliver his remnant church out of Babylon because he was greater than their gods. Amen. Isaiah 47 is, I will deliver my remnant church out of Babylon because I am greater than all the dark arts and practiced in the city of Babylon by all the different crafts of that part of their satanic religion. Isaiah 47. The first section is verses 1 through 4. The first lesson is 1 through 4. Isaiah mocked Babylon as a disgraced virgin. Verse 1. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. There is no throne. O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind meal. Uncover thy locks. Make bare the leg. Uncover the thigh. Pass over the rivers. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will not meet thee as a man. As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. And amen. Verses 1 through 3, mocking the disgraced virgin daughter of Babylon, that, that kingdom likened unto a virgin daughter. A virgin daughter is a special thing to a man 
And so the Lord chooses that among many other symbol, symbols of our relationships in life and focuses on this one like he has for his church in other places by calling Jerusalem and Zion his virgin daughter. Remember how he pre protected his virgin daughter from Sennacherib who came and thought that he could seduce her and intimidate her and, and deflower her like he had everyone else in all the other kingdoms of the world. And the Lord had an answer for him. The virgin daughter of Zion hath laughed thee to scorn. She hath shaken her head at thee. And so this terminology is consistent in the Bible for a delightful city. In this case, it's the city of Babylon. And the Lord is now mocking her through Isaiah the prophet. It's Babylon versus Zion. And for three verses, Isaiah mocks Babylon as a disgraced virgin. And there is a chorus. There is a chorus that bursts in with verse 4 to celebrate because it goes right back to Babylon in the next verse. But for that fourth verse is, as for our Redeemer, the same one that's going to ravish the Babylonians and disgrace and doom that virgin daughter, he's our Redeemer. So he ravishes and he redeems. And that, that chorus gets our attention for the blessing that we have in the Lord. And then it returns in verse 5, sit thou silent. It goes right back to Babylon. There's so many things that could be said, and I want to say it in just a few minutes because we want to sing that same song again, Jesus, lover of my soul, because he has done this on the grandest of scales in the greatest drama in the world, far greater than Cyrus, delivering a few Jews out of Babylon of Iraq for us to understand that we have been saved from the palace of the devil and taken captive by the stronger man from the strong man and that we have heaven promised to us an eternal inheritance and a new heaven and a new earth. And for those that overcome, they shall inherit all things through our Prince, the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to sing about him. But let's just look at these verses very quickly. The mockery in verse 1 should be obvious that this woman, this daughter, had been, and you've got to keep in mind, there is a daughter metaphor, but it is representing the kingdom of Babylon. It's representing the city of Babylon. So... When you look at verse 1, this daughter has been called tender and delicate. She was treated the best by her nurses. She wore the best clothing. She was always clean, always protected. And now she's going to be treated like a slave. And then what happens to women in conquest? They're abused. They're used and thrown away. And that's going to happen to her. And so it's a big change to this girl. And so you should think about the girl because that's the metaphor for the city of Babylon had been used to finery and security and tender and delicate. All they did was live in pleasure and carelessness all their lives. And that's going to be destroyed because they're going to become the slaves of the Persians. Amen. So just keep that in mind as we look at this first verse. And so the prophet tells this virgin daughter you don't prance around anymore in your fancy outfits, princess. I want you to think about the way that we use that word princess sometimes. When some of our daughters don't want to do manual tasks or menial labor, we call them princesses. It comes from here. Because the, the menial task and the manual labor is in verse 2, and princesses don't do that kind of stuff. They were tender and delicate. And so it says, sit in the dust. O virgin daughter of Babylon, just sit down on the ground. You don't have a throne anymore. 
you daughter of the Chaldeans. It's talking about the Chaldean kingdom under the picture of a Chaldean girl. Thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate because the Persians aren't going to treat you that way. You may have treated yourself that way, but the Persians aren't going to do that. Cincinnati, Ohio is called America's Queen City due to its past role and reputation. Babylon's referred to under very feminine terms in other places. We have Lady Liberty and we have Mother Nature without hardly giving such usage a thought. And so the Bible doesn't do things differently as it explains it to us. Virginity is no longer thought valuable, but rather an anomaly, blemish, or disgrace. But it is valuable to God and to all wise men. And much more could be said there, but it's not necessary. Instead of cavorting in fine clothing in a palace, she would sit on the dusty ground. Instead of sitting on a throne as a princess, the daughter of Babylon would have no longer a throne. The change would include losing all fine descriptions, such as tender and delicate. Babylon, one of the most beautiful cities in history, would eventually be dirt mounds, as we have seen in the slides and pictures that we have seen of current Babylon. God had promised her great downfall, and Cyrus was going to make it happen. The capital of Persia was quickly moved from Babylon to Shusha, and the long descent of Babylon to mounds took place. Verse 2, now you're a slave. Hey, slave girl, take the millstones and grind me some meal. Make me some flour the hard way. Uncover thy locks. Get that stuff off your head that's interfering with your work. Make bare the leg. Get all these fancy clothes off you. Uncover the thigh. Pull your clothes up because we've got to ford this river because you're on the way to Iran. You're coming out of Iraq. You're coming out of Babylon and you're going to Shushan. You're a prisoner now of ours. And so the mockery, and remember, you're sitting with your family at, after supper in Babylon and you've been there for 70 years and you have this word in your hands from Isaiah, who wrote it 160 years before Cyrus, appear, Cyrus appeared at the gates of Babylon, and you're encouraging your family. And we're encouraging our families right now. This is our God, and this is how he talks about those of false religions in the world, and of kingdoms and empires, might and dominion, thrones and powers, visible and invisible. They're all the same to him. He mocks them. Because he's the God of glory, and his son is the conquering prince of the universe. You're a slave now, girl. Princesses, virgin daughters of kings at home, were used to fine and extensive clothing. But notice, that's coming off this girl. Let it be known by all women that the best and honored in all nations were covered. We live in a profane generation in which women think that taking off clothes is beautiful. But God's people and pagans both understood that fine clothing covering the woman was an adornment and beautiful. And it's coming off a Babylonian girl. They understood that more clothes were more attractive and seductive than less clothes. It's too bad that uh, Americans are upside down in an upside down world when they could be right side up and thinking the way that men always have. Only slaves and whores ever revealed so much of their bodies, hair, legs, and thighs. The princess's head was bare and she had to gird up clothes for labor and for fording rivers on the way out of Babylon. Beautiful Babylon as a city and a kingdom no longer had her regal beauty, but was passed into servitude to Cyrus and the Persians. Verse three, 
Thy nakedness shall be uncovered. You're going to be stripped, and your private parts are going to be exposed. Thy shame shall be seen. You're going to be mocked for how ugly you are without clothes on, and you're going to be taken advantage of and abused. I will take vengeance, and I will not meet thee as a man. God was coming through Cyrus the Persian, and he wasn't going to be a gentleman knocking at the door asking for a date. He was going to come as a monster through Cyrus the Persian to punish the Babylonians. The language is powerful and and forceful, and if I was to show you cross-references, your skirt is going to be thrown up over your head because we don't care who you are or what you look like, and you're going to be abused. Jeremiah 13, 26, Nahum 3, 5, Ezekiel 16, 15 through 59, chapter 23, 1 through 49, all describe this. It happened to the Jewish women, and now it's going to happen to the Babylonian women. When you go to Lamentations, you find out that the Babylonians raped the Jewish women. See, little American girls and grown-up American women do not understand life, except the American way. And the American way is one of protection and security, and you've never had anything bad happen to you in your whole life except a red light, which only lasted 30 seconds. That's the worst thing that's happened to you in comparison to this. I wish you knew what happened to Poland in 41 and 44. In 41, the women were raped by the Germans on their way to Russia. In 44, the women were raped by the Russians on their way to Germany. Poland is one of the most punished nations on earth for being in between the wrong kind of nations. I wish you knew about the rape of Nanking from December of 1937 into January of 1938 when the Japanese soldiers made a statement to China that they better submit. And they went from house to house and drugged the virgin daughters of the Chinese into the streets and threw their skirts over their head and did exactly what the Bible describes. And these examples that I'm giving you are just from the Second World War. My dad was already a young man in those days. This is an ancient history. And it's too bad so that when you read a passage like this, you just read over it. You don't understand what soldiers, how old are soldiers? 19, 21, testosterone at the very highest level of their entire lives, kept from women, kept on the march, feeling all the adrenaline, winning a victory. When they take a city, after they kill the men, they abuse the women. And they make fun of you after they're done using you in succession and succession and succession for your ugliness. You say, do you have to? Listen, you mark your calendars. I have been very guarded. You know, if you're bold enough, why don't you go spend 30 minutes and learn about what happened to the capital of China in 1937 when a little tiny nation called Japan had to intimidate that massive population into submission to them. That's all I want to say about that. I want you to look at verse 3 and understand it. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered, yea, thy shame shall be seen. Your private parts are going to be fully exposed, made fun of, mocked, you're going to be abused, and left for trash in the gutter. 
I will take vengeance and I will not meet thee as a man. I'm not going to be a gentleman asking you at a date. I'm not going to be kind, considerate, polite, and courteous to be nice to you. I'm going to abuse you. This is coming upon Babylon for what Babylon did to the Jews. Now remember, if you think this isn't consistent with the rest of the Bible, I need to remind you of Psalm 137, that Babylon dashed the infant children of the Jews against the stones, and so the Bible says, we are going to be happy when we get to do the same thing to your children and dash your babies against the stones. Do you remember that from Psalm 137? This is the reality of the fairness of our God. They did it, they're going to get it. What goes around comes around. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Let's just thank the Lord that Osiris marched into that city and did it to the one side and redeemed the other and wrote a proclamation, the God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the world and I want the Jews to go home and build their own city. He said, come upon this stallion behind me. I'll get you out of this place and you can go back to Jerusalem and build your city and your temple to your God. There's so many things that could be said. I love our girls. I love our women. I'm glad you're safe. I'm glad you're secure. I'm glad you girls have never gone to bed, ever thinking one moment that soldiers could break into your bedroom. And never. You don't know anything. You cry and fuss and get discouraged about nothing. If you, were, if you would ever consider what other women in the world have gone through, it would make you so happy and content with your lives of safety, prosperity, pleasure, and luxury. You are called tender and delicate in America because you're protected. And we thank God for that. And do you know why it's true? Because God has blessed America. Right. Not God bless America. That's asking Him to do something like He hasn't done it. God has blessed America. Amen. And we're so safe and so secure. As for our Redeemer... The Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. God's servant Cyrus the Great would ravish Babylon and redeem Israel. Look at that word, Redeemer. And look at what was in verse 3. That is ravishing the women. It's our versus our. It's all done by the same one. Cyrus the Persian to execute the wrath of God upon the Babylonians. Cyrus the Persian to execute the redemption of God upon his forgiven, forsaken, chastised people and take them back to Jerusalem. It's just wonderful. All I can see is the clip-clop, clip-clop, and see the white stallion of the Lord Jesus Christ coming soon to deliver me. I see this too, but I see the Lord Jesus Christ, and I hope you can see both. Let's go to the next lesson. Verses 5 through 7. God mocked Babylon as a doomed virgin. Isaiah started out, and if you read carefully, it's Isaiah talking in verses 1 through 4. And then it's God mocking Babylon as a doomed virgin, not a disgraced virgin, a doomed one. Verses 5 through 7. Sit thou silent, and get thee into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called the Lady of Kingdoms. I was wroth with my people. I have polluted mine inheritance and given them into thine hand. Thou didst show them no mercy. Upon the ancient hast thou very heavily laid thy yoke, and thou saidest, I shall be a lady forever so that thou didst not lay these things to thy heart, neither didst remember the latter end of it. Amen and amen. These verses are powerful and weighty against Babylon by the blessed God. Sit thou silent. Shut up, girl, and sit down. Get you into darkness, you daughter of the Chaldeans. Never again is anybody going to talk about you as a girl or your city 
and kingdom as a great city and kingdom, you'll never be called again the Lady of Kingdoms. Babylon was the Lady of Kingdoms. She was a beautiful and glorious kingdom, but the Lord destroyed her for touching his people. I asked you to read last night if you were hungry for reading in Psalm 105, where the Lord said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, touch not mine anointed. When people touch the people of God, they're in serious trouble. I'll give Egypt for thy ransom. I'll, I'll destroy that land and let you walk out with their wealth. After I rip it to the ground and burn it down, the Lord said through Moses and then did it. But this is Babylon. This is Babylon. It's I versus thou. I was wroth with my people in verse 6. I have polluted mine inheritance. This was horrible for God to turn his people over to the Babylonians. Habakkuk went nuts about it. When you read Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 1 is, God, is, is Habakkuk telling God that it is not fair that people more wicked than the Jews were punishing the Jews. That the Babylonians, known for their great cruelty and wickedness, idolatry and witchcraft, were punishing his church. It's, it's Habakkuk unloading in chapter 1. Chapter 2, it's God telling Habakkuk what he's going to do to Babylon. Chapter 3, Habakkuk praising God for what he's going to do to Babylon. So he's all better. And that's how we get all better. We see something bad, then we learn about it from God's perspective and how God's going to correct it, and we're all better. And Habakkuk was all better. You know how that book ends. I don't care what happens to all my economic means. I'm going to be dancing on my high places. And I'm going to be celebrating the Lord my strength and my salvation. Because the Lord explained it to him. This was hard for 70 years. It was hard for the Jews there. It was hard for the Lord. Can you pick up on that a little bit as we look at these verses? I was wroth with my people. They offended me. I polluted my inheritance. I pulled them out of their given property and the inheritance I had given them in Canaan and put them in your city. And that pollutes them. And I've given them into thine hand. And now this. Thou didst show them no mercy. You were wrong in the way you treated them upon the ancient Hast thou very heavily laid thy yoke when the old folks, when the old folks were taken to Jerusalem and you pushed them and dragged them and they couldn't keep the pace and you weren't merciful to them? I saw it. Does he sees everything? He sees everything. He sees every little detail in your lives. He remembers it. He has your tears in his bottle. He has all your wanderings in his book. He writes them down. He will not forget. And this is him saying that to the Babylonians. Thou didst show them no mercy. The chastening of the Jews would end, but then the vengeance of Babylon would begin. Nebuchadnezzar showed some mercy. Nebuchadnezzar showed some mercy to Jeremiah, but they leveled the city and tore the temple down and raped the women. And God, God remembered it all. He said, but... He ordained all of that for their punishment, yes. But Babylon's heart in the matter wasn't that they're chastening Jews to do the will of God. They were doing that to build their empire, just like Sennacherib of the Assyrians tried to do against Jerusalem. Verse 7. Thou saidest, I shall be a lady forever. You thought you were going to be a lady forever. Verse 5 says, nobody's going to call you the lady of kingdoms again. So that thou didst not lay these things to thy heart. Pride is terrible. Pride causes men to forget the rational 
reasonableness and logic of being a man, a proper man. You were so proud and so confident of your security in those big walls and the supply of water through the river Euphrates that you said you're going to be a lady forever, so you didn't lay these things to thy heart that you were rough on the people of Zion, that you were rough on the worshipers of Jehovah, that you were rough on the people to whom you sent an ambassador to find out about the wonder done in the land. Are you all... Listen, there's two things at play here. The Babylonians knew more about the worship of Israel than nothing. They knew that Jehovah was a special God. Second, God can hold you responsible for what you should know if you haven't used the means to know that. And so he's going after them. These two things in in verse 7. Thou didst not lay these things to thy heart. You did not consider and think about the people that you were messing with, where they came from, what God they worshipped, the great signs and wonders that had been done in that nation. You should have thought about that. And brother, we want to think about everything we do. Is a side practical point here for us. Neither didst remember the latter end of it. You didn't remember, though you know Jeremiah so well, that you made special arrangements for him in Judah, you didn't remember that he has whole chapters that after 70 years, all the nations of the earth are going to feed themselves on Babylon. You say, well, why, why didn't they pay attention to that? Because God, God had blinded their eyes, closed up their ears, shut up their hearts, and all of their priests were saying, we've got this covered. This is the great city of Babylon. Look at Bel, 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 Nebo, Marduk. You're going to save us. Save us, O Marduk. And so they didn't listen, even though they knew about Jeremiah. Do you, all, do you all know that Jeremiah took some drinks and went around and visited the nations that were neighbors to Judah and told them what was going to happen? That if they wanted to keep their nation, then they needed to submit to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and everything would be fine. But if they chose to fight against him, see, he did that. He was, he was an ambassador to the nations. He was known. And Nebuchadnezzar kind of liked someone doing some of his dirty work for him by going and telling kings they ought to submit. But they didn't think long enough about what was going to happen, that after 70 years, someone else was going to take over Babylon. Oh. So the Lord's reminding them, you should have laid this to your heart, and you should have thought about your latter end. What I preached to you on Wednesday night was for us to lay something to our hearts and to think about our latter end, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ is coming, just like Cyrus is going to come, and this world's going to be totally different, and you're going to stand before Jesus Christ and give an account of your life. You don't have to give an account to me. You're going to give an account to him. And either you're going to be a reprobate or you're going to be one of his. And the difference between the two, I can't describe it to you. I cannot describe the difference between an eternal torment in hell and eternal bliss in heaven. I can't describe it. But it's coming. And so we ought to be doing some thinking ourselves. And I hope we think every day. Verse 8. Verses 8 through 11, God promised Babylon would be desolated. Verse 8. Therefore hear now this, thou that art given to pleasures, that dwellest carelessly, that sayest in thine heart, I am and none else beside me. I shall not sit as a widow, neither shall I know the loss of children. 
But these two things shall come to thee in a moment, in one day, the loss of children and widowhood. They shall come upon thee in their perfection, for the multitude of thy sorceries and for the great abundance of thine enchantments. For thou hast trusted in thy wickedness. Thou hast said, None seeth me. Thy wisdom and thy knowledge, it hath perverted thee. And thou hast said in thine heart, I am, and none else beside me. Therefore shall evil come upon thee, thou shalt not know from whence it riseth, and mischief shall fall upon thee, thou shalt not be able to put it off, and desolation shall come upon thee suddenly, which thou shalt not know. You're going to be taken by surprise, and you will not have been able to figure out a single aspect of it, where the enemy's coming from and how he's going to do it, and it's going to happen in one day, and your city's going to be overthrown, and you think it's forever. This is powerful language of God comforting his people and warning Babylon about what he was going to do to them. They had been given to pleasures. The city was so secure that the city was given to pleasures. They dwelt carelessly. They didn't worry about the future. They were going to let, I'm going to be a lady kingdom forever. I sit a lady and none else. And I'll always be a lady. And the Lord says, I'm going to undo you in one day, in a moment, suddenly. And you won't even know where it comes from. Cyrus, for those of you that love the military strategy and can understand the Lord's words here, it's fabulous. They couldn't, they couldn't fathom that he was going to divert the waters of the Euphrates because their God said, you know, Marduk's given us the water of the Euphrates, and Nebo's given us water, and Bel's given us these hanging and terrace gardens of Babylon. We're safe. We can withstand a siege for 20 years. Who's Cyrus? I'll never sit as a widow. I'll never be without a king, and I'll never know the loss of children, my citizens. My citizens won't be taken away from me. I'm going to be a lady kingdom forever. And the Lord says, these two things are going to come upon thee in a moment in one day. Remember, remember Daniel when he gets to the end? And there in Daniel it says, and that night Belshazzar was slain. Well, that night Belshazzar was slain in a moment, in a day. And, and uh, the, the city, the kingdom of the Babylonians, was in widowhood because the king was killed and the children were taken captive. They shall come upon thee in their perfection. God's judgment would come in its perfection. Cyrus and the Persians would come in their perfection. God can perfect men like Cyrus to do his job perfectly. And it can really mess people up. If you think your life is bad and you don't want to repent for your sins, you have not met the God of the Bible. He is able to make your life worse than you can imagine. He can bring perfect trouble and destroy you from the inside out, upside down, whatever way you need to hear it. The, the lesson is repent or a great God who's perfect himself will bring perfect judgment. Ver, the middle of verse 9, they shall come upon thee in their perfection for the multitude of thy sorceries and for the great abundance of thine enchantments. This loss of children and you going into widowhood is going to come in perfection. Cyrus is going to do a fantastic job. Why is it going to happen? It's going to happen because they were cruel to the Jews and because of verse 10. For thou hast trusted in thy wickedness, and these are the dark arts of sorcery and witchcraft, because that's the context. Thou hast said, none seeth me. I deal in darkness with departed spirits and with gods and witchcraft that even the God of the Jews can't see. I'm, I dwell in darkness 
and I get answers, and we've had answers for this kingdom, and the Lord may have blessed some of those answers for a while, because for 70 years they were great. They took down Assyria. Nebuchadnezzar and his father laid siege to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, which was a city comparable to Babylon, and destroyed it. And the book of Nahum in your Bibles is about that destruction. God would perfect judgment against Babylon for her arrogance in the dark arts. That she knew she was doing dark wickedness and continued in it against the God of glory and the God of the Jews. It perverted thee, and you've said in your heart, I am and none else. I've allowed you the privilege of pursuing your religion and having some measure of success, and so you think you're going to last forever. Therefore, in verse 11, shall evil come upon thee. And you understand what that therefore is there, because they trusted in their wickedness and in their sorcery. Therefore shall evil come upon thee, thou shalt not know from whence it riseth, and mischief shall fall upon thee, thou shalt not be able to put it off, and desolation shall come upon thee suddenly, which thou shalt not know. All their prognosticators, all their sorceries, look at verse 9, the last part of verse 9, the multitude of thy sorceries, and the great abundance of thine enchantments. They were using every aspect of witchcraft and sorcery that they could. When you go to Ezekiel 21, 21, it tells us, that the king of Babylon made his decision by arrows, by images, and by the liver. Arrows. If you have 20 arrows in a quiver, and you're at a, you're at a fork in the road, you write the left fork 10 times on 10 arrows, write the, you know, the other one on 10, or whatever op- odds you want to give, and then you draw one out of the quiver. So that's how they were making enchantments and having a priest pray over it and having an image brought before them, and having an image and praying to it and asking its priest for an answer, or killing a goat, pulling on its liver, and examining it, and having the priest of that particular religious sect tell them what they ought to do. It's Ezekiel 21, 21. It's the abundance of their enchantments. They were using every aspect of witchcraft that they could. The Lord's about to mock them that they ought to be tired because there were just too many religious activities in Babylon. Uh, just a moment, you know, they've already got tired by moving their gods around, but now they're going to get tired from having to have so many religious ceremonies with palm readers and the rest of that stuff. I hope you hate all that stuff. Now, see, I was raised better than all of you were on this particular subject, and I'm sorry about that, but I'm trying to help you right now. My father was raised in a family that had once been devil worshippers. So my father doesn't, doesn't like fortune cookies as much as you do. And my father didn't like the Ouija board. When I came home in the fifth grade and told him that they'd had a Ouija board in the class that day at school, it was not a good day for the, in the history of Jonathan Crosby. And I appreciate that about my father so much. So much so that with, with my appreciation for knights, medieval knights and, and knights of the round table and things like that, you know, Lancelot, Arthur and all that stuff, I, I can't stand at all because there's a sword involved with Merlin the magician. Because the word magician, we hate the word magician. Do you know why? Because it was one of the sources of dark arts of the Babylonians. And we don't like that word. And we don't like stargazers. And we don't like a astro- How many of you read the horoscope? No one in this church should ever read a horoscope. And if you ever see one, you should burn it in the fireplace. Those are monthly prognosticators. The, we have a great Bible. It deals with things past and present. 
And so let's make sure that we have a church that hates witchcraft in every one of its forms. Now, I know that fun can be made about the fortune cookie, and you can make fun of me about fortune cookies, but, you know, first of all, and some of you disagree with me on this, I know that you want to put them in some culinary contest, but fortune cookies taste something like dehydrated car cardboard, and it is terrible. But, but that little message in them, I don't want to read that little message. I want to, you don't want to know what I want to do. You don't want to know it. Thank you, Lord! for saving us from all the dark arts. Jean Dixon, you know, looking in her crystal ball, talking about her experience of lying in bed and looking out a window to the sun rising in the east and having a snake come out of that sun and come through that window and embrace her in her bed. Oh yes, I read her autobiography about that experience and America looked to Jean Dixon to foretell the future. I hate every aspect of all that stuff. I hate Harry Potter, is he, or is he Henry Potter? He's no potter of mine. I have a potter that's going to pot him. Let's hate all that stuff. Those little Pokemon jump cards, those little Pokemon devilish cards. How many of your children have Pokemon cards? I'm about to get off this soapbox. It's Isaiah, my soapbox is Isaiah 47. Amen. Here's the Lord making fun of all the dark arts of the Babylonians. Yep. That's why I read to you what he did to Egypt. He made fun of all the dark arts of the Egyptians. He turned their wise men upside down. He mocked them because it took away all their wisdom. They relied on those men and did not see the rise of a prince coming out of the east named Cyrus, who marshaled enough forces and gathered together the other independent city-states to march on Media and take it, and march on Libya, Lydia and take it, and march on Babylon. They couldn't see it. They couldn't think, you know, we do have a 40-square-mile area upriver where the water is diverted in times of flooding. What if their engineers got a hold of that? No. Let's have a party, and let's toast Bell. The next day, Bell was retired, and he was horizontal on a wagon. The next day, let's toast Bell with these vessels of Jehovah from Jerusalem. See, I just get, oh, what is going to happen next? Right. When he, well, you know what happens. Boom. Out comes a hand and begins to write. Was it printing or cursive? In my Bible, it's printing. And Daniel interpreted, and I love the whole, doesn't, don't you rejoice? Every time you play with the dark arts, Dark arts, anywhere, any, any degree of them. Why? I want the light arts. Right. Like worship, praise, and thanksgiving to the God of, the, of the God of heaven and the God of the Bible. Therefore shall, e verse 11, Therefore shall evil come upon thee, thou shalt not know from whence it riseth. They could not figure out what was coming out of Persia. That is unbelievable ignorance and mischief shall fall upon thee. Thou shalt not be able to put it off. All the dark arts are not going to give you strength, and desolation shall come upon thee suddenly one day, which thou shalt not know. They would not figure out the, the Euphrates is an awesome way into this city from both sides. And they took it from both sides. Verse 12, the last lesson. God promised to ruin Babylon's sorcerers. Verse 12. Stand now with thine enchantments. Listen to the Lord challenge them. Stand now 
with thine enchantments and with the multitude of thy sorceries wherein thou hast labored from thy youth. If so be, thou shalt be able to profit. If so be, thou mayest prevail. Thou art wearied in the multitude of thy counsels. Let now the astrologers, the stargazers, the monthly prognosticators stand up and save thee from these things that shall come upon thee. Behold, they shall be as stubble. The fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. There shall not be a coal to warm at, nor fire to sit before it. Thus shall they be unto thee with whom thou hast labored, even thy merchants from thy youth. They shall wander every one to his quarter. None shall save thee. Amen and amen. These are wonderful verses. Hey, you enchanters, you wizards and witches of Babylon, stand up. Stand now and show us your ability. Show us your power with your enchantments. Verse 12, and the multitude of thy sorceries, wherein thou hast labored from thy youth. Hey, Babylon, from your youth, the history of your city has been committed to devil worship. Stand up now and show us your long-standing traditional religion of satanic worship and using the dark arts to help you in battle and, other, and to answer other questions and to have your own wisdom in the darkness. You've labored from thy youth. If so be, thou shalt be able to profit. If so be, thou mayest prevail. Stand up and show us your might. Give it your best shot because I've declared what I'm going to do to you. In one day, it's going to be over. Try to stop it. Amen. What a challenge. You know, men should rejoice in things. Men like challenges like this. Try to stop me. Let me chase this just for a couple of seconds, and I hope it doesn't bother anyone. Whenever a coach runs up a score in a football game, the losing coach, you know, wants to get a reporter and say, well, I don't know why they had to score those last two touchdowns. And so he gets all that to get everybody inflamed. Then he goes and talks to the winning coach, and he says, why would you score those extra touchdowns? And the coach says, all they had to do was stop me. Oh, I, I, I just love coaches like that. Why didn't they stop me? I didn't cheat. Why didn't they stop me? Here's the Lord. Stand up and give me your best shot. I've told you how I'm going to lay it out and how I'm going to do it. Show me. Yes, yeah, stop me. Verse 13. Thou art wearied in the multitude of thy counsels. They had so many dark arts going on, and you can tell when you read Daniel, Daniel 2, Daniel 5, um, especially Daniel 4, and you read about the astrologers and magicians and Chaldeans and the sorcerers and stargazers and monthly prognosticators of the Babylonians, they had it all. They had an array. I mean, the king must have had a database manager to keep track of all his dark arts that were available to him in Babylon. There were so many. And that thou art wearied in the multitude of thy counsels. You get so many different pieces of advice. But let now the astrologers, the stargazers, the monthly prognosticators stand up and save thee from these things that shall come upon thee. Stop me. Behold, they shall be as stubble. All your counselors, all your dark art, and your city. But they especially, the witches, the sorcerers, they shall be as stubble. Dried out stalks of a plant that is now dried out because its plant been taken away. It's dead and the fire consumes it very quickly. The fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. I'm going to burn them up. Now, this, there wasn't a real fire. They didn't burn Babylon. 
They took Babylon for a while, but this is the fiery judgment of God. This is a metaphor. I'm going to consume them because of what we have in the next verse. But don't look at it yet. Just, just trust me, and I'll show you in the next verse. But I want you to notice the two uses of the metaphor of fire in verse 14. And I do not want to spend very much time on this at all. The first half of the verse. Behold, they shall be a stubble. The fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. I'm going to bring consuming judgment upon Babylon, and I'm going to consume your wise men and all their counsels that they've given. Second half of the verse. There shall not be a coal to warm at, nor fire to sit before it. They are not going to have the slightest suggestion to give you when I get done with them, because I will have put them out with a big bucket of cold water. They will have nothing to offer you. So there is consuming fire of judgment in the first half of the verse, and there is the light of fire of counsel from these prognosticators in the second half of the verse, and there's not going to be any left. So he describes consuming them in the first half and taking away all their counsel in the second half of the verse. Thus, verse 15, Thus shall they be unto thee with whom thou hast labored. Skip the non-restrictive phrase, and let's finish the clause. Thus shall they be unto thee with whom thou hast labored from thy youth. And that is taken from verse 12. In the middle of it, wherein thou hast labored from thy youth. So we know who we're talking about. We're still talking about the sorcerers and the wizards and the prognosticators. Thus shall they be unto thee. They're going to be consumed and they're not going to have anything left to tell you. And then the Lord sticks this knife in. Even thy merchants. Now wait a minute. What's he bringing merchants in here for? Because... Sorcerers charge a fee. How many palm readers do you think there are in Greenville that have an open-door policy and will read your palm for nothing? It's a money-making business. And so the Lord jabs them with three words, even thy merchants. Right in the middle of the statement about, from verse 12, that these are the, the, the witches, the witchcraft, and the sorcerers of the kingdom because that was what was in 14 and that was in 13 and that's what this particular chapter is about but those that are engaged in the dark arts do it to make a living and it was huge business in Babylon thus shall they be unto thee as verse 14 describes it thus shall they be unto thee with whom thou hast labored even thy merchants from thy youth they have made merchandise out of you, stupid Babylonians, just like Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 2 that false teachers make merchandise out of Christians. They shall wander everyone to his quarter. None shall save thee. They are not going to all be burned up in a fire in verse 14 because that was a metaphorical fire of consuming destruction. They're going to wander. They're going to wander everyone back to his house. They're not, they, they're not going to have a purpose any longer in their lives because they're investment in their dark craft by which they gave counsel to the kings of Babylon has been totally overthrown. None shall save thee. They will wander around because their whole life has been built on once in a while giving a right answer. Once in a while a fortune cookie might be right. Sort of like if you turn the lights out and you put a wastebasket out here once in a while I can throw a ball into it. They shall wander everyone to his quarter. 
as I was studying on this last part of verse 15, the Lord reminded me of a particular counselor who wandered to his own quarter, but rather purposefully, and his name is Ahithophel. And when the counsel of Ahithophel was not heeded by Absalom, he saddled up his ass, went to his quarter, and hung himself. And so the Lord defeated the counsel of Ahithophel. And how did the Lord defeat the counsel of the Babylonians? All those the hand comes out. What does it mean? None of them could answer. Only Daniel could answer. They couldn't answer anything. They did not recognize the superior fighting power of the media Persian combine under the leadership of Darius, the uncle of Cyrus. They didn't see anything. They forgot about the gates being opened and they let those armies into the city and it was taken in one night. And the city that said, I shall sit a lady forever, found widowhood and loss of children in one night. Praise the God of glory. Praise, praise the God of heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming soon. And he is going to wreak vengeance on his enemies. And he's going to save us. Cyrus the Persian destroyed the Babylonians, their idols, their sorcerers, and redeemed his people. Jesus Christ is going to destroy all his enemies and redeem us. It's ravishing versus redemption. Cyrus did it. Jesus is coming to do it to the whole world. He's going to burn the whole thing up and give us a new one. Now you can turn to 508 in the Trinity hymnal and we'll sing the other version of Jesus, lover of my soul.